I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. I've definitely gotten to the age where I watch a movie that's about a reckless asshole, like bad boy character who doesn't follow the rules and is like fucking with authority. You know, we've seen a bunch of those in the eighties. Like Top Gun is probably the big dick version of that. I was going to ask about that. (laughs) But but yeah, and I watch these movies now and I get angry at those characters. Maybe I've just hit that age where I relate way more to the people who scream at them than I do at those characters themselves, where I watch something like Top Gun and I'm like, that poor motherfucker who just wants to drink his coffee in the tower. (laughs) And Maverick is such a fucking asshole to him. And it's the same thing. I'll watch like Winnie the Pooh. And I'm like, Poor rabbit, because he just wants to have a nice garden, and he's keeping his house neat and clean, and this asshole comes over to your house and eats all your food and gets stuck in your door, and everyone acts like you're the asshole. This principal is literally his job is to get Ferris Bueller to go to school. That's all he wants is for him to go to school. And I'll watch something like uh, Lethal Weapon, and I'm like... I totally get Murtaugh now. It's like, I'm not a family man, but he just wants to get his fucking boat done and he wants to fix his house up. He doesn't want to be in an action movie. He doesn't want to do this crazy shit. He's an action hero, so he's kind of competent and awesome and all that, but he really doesn't want to be in a movie where his house explodes. Well, there's, a, there's a big wink wink to that, right? The, and the wink is, is that we, as the audience, want to see that. So... It, the, uh, it makes sense for a heightened reality movie to generate a character who is the type of dick that Maverick is because we'd be like, well, what you and I are never going to walk into a situation and like have the wherewithal or the skills or the confidence to just like say, fuck you, everybody. I'm going to do what I want to do. Like it's a wish fulfillment, thing. but it's the wish fulfillment, but it's not for me anymore. I think mm. that's what hit me is that <laughs> it's like when you have a character who's supposed to be the wet blanket And everything they say is absolutely reasonable. Hey, Maverick, wouldn't it be great if you stopped being so reckless and careless with the lives of other pilots (laughs) and million-dollar equipment and maybe not try to start World War III? Can you please not do that? And hey, while you're at it, can you not buzz the tower? I mean, just to be a dick for no reason other than to laugh. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know when this happened. And I think... I. I remember our good friend David Gutierrez, it was either Twitter or was it Facebook, he, he put out a message basically saying that he'd watched a Batman movie and was shocked to realize that the character he related to most was Alfred. <laughs> and I'm there. <laughs> when did I become an old man? So I was shocked when, I think you posted on Facebook, maybe it was on your last show, you mentioned that you watched Top Gun for the first time Yeah, recently. all the way through. And how do you feel... Like that's that that I was shocked because that is like a cultural touchstone. I come from a family of pilots. We watched that movie hundreds of times when I was growing up, and so like it's kind of like when you found uh, Sean had never did not know the ending of Silent Green. I'm like, Mike's never seen Top Gun. This, how is this possible? So, what's the fresh 
2022 look at the coked up 80s culture that is <laughs> Top Gun. Well, I definitely want to do a, an episode on it, so I don't want to burn sure, through material, sure. but I would say that it's amazing how much of that movie I knew without having seen it, <laughs> just through cultural osmosis. Um, I mean, there's certain things you know. You know that it's going to have Kenny Loggins all over the soundtrack, and you know, there's going to be a lot of riding a motorcycle with no helmet on, and there's... A disturbing amount of tongue kissing, but um, and homoeroticism. Yeah, yeah, so there's all a bunch of stuff in it. Yeah. A lot of a lot of military propaganda. Oh yeah. Um, oh my god. I mean, they did set up you know recruitment booths in the movie theaters and stuff. So that was all there. I mean, it it was, and I've talked about this experience before when you watch something that you'd never seen before, but you've seen a lot of derivative works. You've seen a lot of parodies. Like in this case, I've seen hot shots probably a dozen times (laughs) and I watched Top Gun and I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I thought it would be. It was, it wasn't like I was surprised at anything like that. It was like, this is exactly what pop culture told me this movie was going to be. And, uh, I don't want to say any more about it because I don't want to burn through it. But I mean, it's interesting because I think Top Gun is exactly the kind of movie like, one of the movies I saw for my 2017 what, try to watch 365 movie thing was like Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. I had the exact same experience with that where I had never seen it, but I'd seen everything from like, um, God, even Mortal Kombat to Bloodsport. You've seen all these movies that are clearly drawing from Enter the Dragon, mm-hmm. but this one feels like the real one. Like you're like, I get now all of these Simpsons jokes that I didn't get before. I would go as far as Balls of Fire is one of the great sort of like parodies of Enter the Dragon. Oh, I or have Balls of Fury. Balls of Fury. Balls of Fury. The, the yeah. ping ping pong one. It is way better than it has any right to be. I went to that movie thinking it's like, okay, this is gonna be dumb schlocky comedy, and it was exactly that. But I laughed my ass off through that movie. I've been in a bit on a Tony Scott kick as of late. And uh, actually, there's two two directors that I've seemed to like have just now rounding out. One is Martin Campbell, who mm-hmm. you may know him better as the director of Goldeneye um, mm. and Green Lantern. And, and, yes, and Green Lantern. <laughs> we got to keep him humble. But but he also did uh, Casino Royale. Yeah, he did Casino Royale, and then most recently, Martin Campbell did like The Memory, which is another one of those Liam Neeson. Those Liam Neeson movies, and I've just have this thing. If Tony Scott were alive, he would be making, still making this kind of movie. Even though I think, I think Tony Scott's like Tony. I just saw his taking of Pelham One Two Three mm. remake, and there is, it you know, imagine you've already seen Top Gun, mm-hmm. so you kind of the sort of like balls out like. Bruckheimer Simpson, just like well, Tony Scott ma- macho makes, garbage, like over the top ridiculousness. He makes fuck yeah movies. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but the thing that I love about Martin Campbell is that Martin Campbell is like the British version of Tony Scott. So it's a he's a little more reserved. He does not push it to so far to the edge. He's not so stylized, and so he'll do something. He's the like, Iceman filmmaker. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he will do like oh, this is a this is a Liam Neeson movie about him being a killer. How many of the there been of those? But yeah. it's going to be it's going to be like oh he has Alzheimer's, so it's going to be like there's this little touch where yeah he is going to fuck people's shit up, but there's got to be this other sort of like interesting little story hook behind it, and it's a pretty it's a pretty forgettable it's movie. A pretty, it's a it's but an it's, okay movie. It's like better than the Red Box Fair though. Yeah, know? and there's a lot of Red Box Fair for Liam Neeson. I mean Liam Neeson has this whole late career where he's like dad action guy. Right. And a lot of it is he still got it. And, you know, 
I so there's a phrase in movies that I think like a, a style of movie I don't like torture porn. Okay, mm. you're you're um, like Saw. It's like Saw, and who's the guy? Hostel. Who, who? Yeah, who's the director? Eli Roth. E- Eli Roth. Yeah, that's how I I don't really enjoy that style. I'm just I'm not a cringe, gross out type guy. I want my horror movies to be thinky, but there's another sort of torture porn, and it's like it's an entirely different concept. It's the torture porn you get from like 24. Where it's like, oh right, we or uh, where we should we should be rooting for the torturers. Yeah, the torturers are good, <laughs> and we should be rooting them. And that's how you get, you know, he's just so desperate, he's willing to cross the line, and but it, it succeeds, so it's justified. And I think of when I watched Taken the very mm-hmm. first time. Yeah, I don't actually. I, I've never watched again. I never watched any of the sequels because there is about a point. I think about two thirds of that movie where he's going through bad guy to bad guy to bad guy, trying to find where his daughter is, and there's this one that he has tied to a chair, mm-hmm. hooked up to electrodes yep. that are connected to the light switch. And he's like electrocuting him to get information. But remember, he's also electrocuting the conductor are nails that he has put in his legs. <laughs> I had forgotten <laughs> that. <laughs> Thank you for that detail. So it's, it's even worse. But no, and then even worse, as he's leaving, he flips a light switch on and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> and at that moment, I'm like, you have crossed the line. I am no longer sympathetic toward this man. He is a psychopath who's causing pain to people for sheer enjoyment. No level of crime is worth what you are doing to the people. You are the worst criminal in a movie about human trafficking. <laughs> and and it is, you're weird. There's that normalization of the idea that, like, it's not just a zero dark 30 thing where. There's a deliberate psyops campaign funded by you know the federal government, the Department of Defense, to give money to this this, uh, this movie. This, this movie, so it's like a version of like we're affirming like look at it, look at how good we did when we use these techniques. There's there's just like a history from like the 70s, probably like the 70s on, where it's it is okay if your hero has to torture people. And then you get through to the 2000s, like the, the Jack Bauer stuff. And like torturing is like the only thing that you can do. But again, like it's, it's, a, the, it's the it's not it's, the, the last resort. It's the first resort. But it's also how we frame torture or even war crimes. Like right. half of the movies that we have about the Vietnam War are not about the people who are victims of war crimes. It's about people who have mental stress because they committed war crimes. And it's about, I did this awful thing and how it affected me. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of fucked up and narcissistic and also the... It's like, well, it's not bad that we did it. It's bad that I had to do it. And you see that a lot in things like Taken and stuff like that. But Taken, I think, is like the ultimate extension. We did an episode on vigilante justice. Mm -hmm. And they all have bad politics, uh, with very few exceptions. I think there's only... God, like Billy Jack? Is that the only one that isn't? <laughs> that's kind of, kind of liberally? But, I mean, you don't get a lot of... Of, of those kind of violent revenge movies that aren't ultimately reactionary. You get like your death wish where it is, again, about a dad who encounters violence, a liberal dad who's like an architect who encounters violence for the first time when monsters out of a Mad Max movie brutalize his family. And now he needs to just go into the into the, the wilds of, of Manhattan with a gun and just randomly kill young, long-haired men and people of color and everyone else that scares your suburban dad and play out all of their fantasies about how they're going to get those guys. And Taken is all about that because Taken is the ultimate dad 
you know, reactionary yeah. suburban paranoia movie. It's the movie. ultimate dog whistle garbage. Like that somehow it's going to be hook nosed Saudi Arabian like sex traffickers. But right. also right. the right. fact that it's like you tell your daughter she's not allowed to go to a concert oh, right. in the big city. <laughs> and you're the good guy. Here. You're the good guy for re- restricting her. Uh, and then when she does, she's immediately captured by sex foreigner sex traffickers. And and it's like. From there, it's dad power fantasy about what I would do. And then my daughter sees me kill at least five people in front of her. And instead of being utterly traumatized and we're going to go into years of therapy after seeing your dad do awful shit to these people after I've already been captured and brutalized for like, like a week. Then I see my dad become a monster, too. You're never trusting for the rest of your life. You are going to go through deep psychological trauma, and you're going to be talking to your therapist for years. You are, you're going to be like 28 years old when you're probably finally hit that kind of equilibrium where you think you can finally trust people again in any kind of interpersonal relationship. And instead, it's, it's the same sort of thing we have in a, a lot of movies where it's like you can witness horrible things. And you can just brush it off. You're fine. Right. You're whatever. And I think there was a time when it's like, I was definitely that the world is black and white. There's good guys and bad guys. And what happens to bad guys is justified because they brought it on themselves. And so like, I would watch like Death Wish and watch various vigilante movies. And I think it was, I can pinpoint that scene. Just like you were saying, at some point you, you suddenly start rooting for the old curmudgeonly, curmudgeonly guy who's trying to get the, the kid just act like a normal human being and everything. I think that scene in Taken was that turning point for me, where vigilante fiction is not nearly as fun anymore. Because it's like, once once that dropped that filter over my eyes, I'm going to watch that movie as like, no, this is an awful thing this person is doing. No matter what the other people are doing to quote unquote deserve it, like, this is a terrible thing. Suddenly, I can't take that filter off and I go through all the other movies like, yeah, this are these are not great. Like these are real awful. I can't really enjoy vigilante fiction anymore because of it. So Liam Neeson broke me is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I look at a lot of, of those movies and I kind of have to put myself in this sort of walled off headspace when, when I encounter that kind of stuff where it's actually easier for me to watch violent vigilante fiction. If it's cartoonishly right wing if it goes into like <laughs> it goes into like QAnon email forward territory where everyone is so cartoonishly awful something like say cobra where the bad guys are like a satan it's like satanic panic plus mad max gang plus you know probably deep state paranoia it's like all of these these awful email forwards thrown together <laughs> into one thing but and then the hero is it's one of those things where you know we just need a cop who just doesn't respect human rights and we just need a guy who goes in and kills 20 people and as long as one of those 20 people is our villain He's just going to brush his hand and go home and drink a beer while staring off into the, into the wall with a thousand yard stare. While, while cutting a pizza up with scissors. Yeah. Yes. I just need some guy who should probably, who should probably be in prison. And, you know, it's like that kind of shit where it's like he's going to shoot up a bunch of things, traumatize twice as many people. And, you know, you also have to create a bad guy that's so cartoonishly irredeemable that 
you don't feel bad. And that's what I mean is I need something to go to that level when it's subtle, when they try to make it realistic, that's when it feels uncomfortable to me. Cause it feels a little too much like propaganda and less like a, something that is so cartoonish that only an idiot could take it seriously. <laughs> I remember a long time ago, my mom would actually, she had certain things that she would not want me to watch things like the Simpsons. I, we were not allowed to watch the Simpsons for years and she compared it to, um, the, uh, all in the family. Was that the one with, um, the racist Carol O'Connor? Yeah. Carol, yeah. You know, Archie Bunker, Archie yeah. Bunker. Yeah. She'd compare it to that because she's like, I understand that the whole point of all in the family is that he's an awful character and you're supposed to hate him. It's supposed to warn you in the opposite direction, but rather than blasting over the line and going a mile past it, they just barely tow over the line with it. And there's so many people who do not actually understand. He is not, he's not a good guy. He is not a protagonist. He's not supposed to be held up as an example of good behavior. And she thought, thought the same thing about the Simpsons with the way they treat Homer as like the dumb dad, just, and I think over time, the Simpsons did go further and further and further over that of line. Of course, of course. But early, early, early seasons of the Simpsons, it was just kind of like, he's just kind of incompetent. And she's like, I don't well, want you to get He's those not messages. only is he incompetent, he uh, physically abuses his children. Right. Yeah, right. There <laughs> is that too. I think I a lot see, of us forget yeah. that there are actual scenes where he strangles Bart. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's weird. We didn't think anything of it. It's, it's shocking now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's funny because it's like, I watched a documentary on QAnon, like in the fact of QAnon, the, the two guys who did 8chan, the father and son. And the father sitting there talking about it was like, I just remember when I was young and Archie Bunker was there. He could say whatever he wants. And that was America I loved. I'm like, you missed That's a, satire a very show. real, yeah. real part of well, that show. Like, isn't that what's called Poe? Isn't that the isn't that the ideas that uh, you cannot satirize? Yeah, right, right wing ideologies, ideologues is such that they cannot distinguish parody from reality. And it, to me, it, it's to me. There's no better. Uh, it's funny that you bring up Archie Bunker because I was working at a job in L.A. My first job I got out of college, and I answered phones for people. And uh, this woman who was probably in her 60s, 70s, 80s, I don't know how old she was. She was wanting to make an appointment, but it was. I think she was saying that she was unwilling or unable to go on the bus. And she pre she she proceeds this by saying, "I'm kind of an I'm kind of an Archie Bunker." And then you're like, okay, well, you know exactly what she's gonna say after that. If someone <laughs> something self racist self identifies as I'm, I'm kind of an Archie Bunker. You're like, oh, okay. It's, it's funny when you take these characters that are, you know, to anyone who looks at it with any kind of critical eye, it's clearly a satirized character. It's satirizing somebody from our society, Archie Bunker, or Ned Flanders. But over time, and this is, this is without fail. You will find the people who embrace that character who is making fun of them. You will find people that are super into Ned Flanders, like all those religious groups that hated The Simpsons when it first came out and said it was evil and it wasn't the Waltons and it wasn't anything good or wholesome, all started writing books like The Gospel of The Simpsons. And it's like, we all love The Simpsons and all this. Um, I don't think there's a way to break the, the Poe barrier. I don't think there's a way to make something so crazy that everyone gets it. That isn't to say we shouldn't have satire. I think it's really important to take a, take a shot at things in real life through the prism of fiction. But I mean, Eric Cartman is probably the perfect example of how much more extreme can a fictional character get and still have a bunch, a scarily numerous number of the audience that seems to think he's the coolest guy in the world rather than a monster. Right. And you know, 
the politics of South Park, we've talked about this before, are already really, really bad. But the fact that Cartman is so clearly a condemnation of that character, even when they make it so that that character gets comeuppance constantly, humiliated constantly, they still, there's a, a portion of the audience that doesn't get it. I think there's some people that they don't want art to be anything that makes them feel introspective, anything that makes them critical of their own behavior, anything that makes them, it's like, that's why you get these hard right wingers that love Star Trek. And they just, there's a part of me that just is confused by that. When you talk about this sort of post-capitalist, moneyless, classless, utopian society where we are past scarcity, you know, and we've solved uh, crime and hunger and poverty and now we can explore the stars in velour uniforms, and <laughs> they all these a lot of these people see is they see uniforms and guns and ships, and they, they just divorce themselves from any kind of critical analysis, even when Star Trek makes itself explicitly about addressing social issues from the perspective of characters who are hundreds of years in the future looking back on racism as this horrible thing that we used to do, and. It's shocking that they can go into that and think of that in the exact same context as like the the Empire from Star Wars or the was it the what is the name of the the space Nazis from Warhammer 40k? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know either. <laughs> but not. they're explicitly space Nazis. But you have this certain kind of fan, usually on the right, that just sort of fetishizes uniforms and weapons, and they just divorce that. All they think about is like I just don't understand why Picard doesn't just like. You know, why don't they carpet bomb that society that won't just do what he says? And you see them complain about this, like, oh, I don't like Picard because he just tries to respect people's autonomy and, and what they care about and tries to find a solution where everybody wins and that he doesn't just go roll in there like a colonizer, carpet bomb their society and take the resources that he wants. No, he, re you know, it's like, fuck that guy. And it's like. You and it, you look at this these kind of posts and you're like, that, but that they might, literally want Picard to act like the Martians in the, the War of the Worlds. That might also be trolling. That might also be like inverse inverse Poe, where someone is intentionally misreading something in a way that is just it, I'm not saying that it's not possible. I think possible. you may be giving some of these people too much credit. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm just saying that there also has got to be like a like a trolling situation where it's just sort of like making a hundred thousand people throw up their hands and be like, how could you miss the point? So, so well, squarely there, there's that, there's that headline <laughs> going around from Fox news. And someone wrote an opinion and it says that star Trek goes boldly where they've never gone before woke politics. Right. And it's like, oh, come on. I, how, how do you get to how, 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 well, that, like that, that's the only word it's that level. It's just, they're just, they've got a Rolodex of topics and they're just like, well, we need to, we need to write something that'll make people upset. Well, it's culture war bullshit yeah, and culture war bullshit is where they're at right. because fuck, you know, where do you even go at this point? It's just culture war bullshit and conspiracy. There's two kinds of culture war bullshit. There's the kind of culture war bullshit that's shit like this, where you scream about how there's like a woman at the head of a Star Wars movie and oh my God, it's ruining everything and they hate men and blah! There's that shit. And then there's the genuinely harmful, actually scary, like anti-trans stuff where we're actually picking a marginalized group that's already vulnerable and saying, hey, how do we just 
poke these people with a stick even harder? How do we use hatred and fear of something that our just Archie Bunker fans do not understand and don't care to understand who have shut off their feelings and empathy from? And how do we use that to, to roll in some cash? How do we use that to roll in power? Right. And th- that's the sort of stuff that you do when, of course, you know, I'm not going to get off on this ramp, but the Democrats are basically rolling to the right themselves and pushing everything like austerity politics as a way to fetishize their own reasonability. And it's like, where does the, where does the right have to go other than crazy town? And it's like, this is where we're, we're going. And it's so easy though. I mean, so this ends up being the thing that's fascinating as it cuts across what we talk about with culture is it actually is just the archetypes of these characters are so well drawn. It is very, very easy to create a Jack Bauer because a Jack Bauer is basically a Rambo or a James Bond. You know, you just strip out the other parts of it and you're just like, well, we have an archetype of a hero and this hero is set against post nine 11 and, there's a hot button issue for torture where some people are extremely okay with torture and some people aren't. So what are we going to do? We're going to make the hero of this guy be a dirty torturer. And there you go. You but he's have also, it. It's so easy. He's explicitly political Jack Bauer in right. a way well, that a lot of those other guys are, I mean, like Top Gun is political. Rambo is political. All of these things, they tend to skew right. But I think a lot of those guys are fairly passively political where, the well, background it's, we're it's marinated a, it's in it's apolitical in the way that when you do like apolitical mili- military stories where you're just sort of like well they're fulfilling a mission therefore what who they're what they're doing and who they're doing it to and how they're doing it is not of your not really their concern well, they're just there's a goal to do and they've got to get to the goal well, why I, space marines are useful yeah <laughs> but i mean i think we're like we're marinated in that sort of stuff and we definitely were in the 2000s and in the 80s really but i mean we were mm-hmm. sort of marinated inside yeah military good you know foreign or bad i mean there was a lot of that stuff there in a lot of these movies like why didn't you know rambo's invading a sovereign country because they didn't let him win a war there a couple of years ago um it's just like you know he's committing a war crime right now this is like somebody from i don't know like germany who's like a nazi dead ender coming over angry that he didn't get to win a war and attacking like the united states he's like going after bayonne new jersey or something and we're like who the fuck is this weirdo um but it's it's weird because it's it's fairly passive when it just assumes that we're getting fed a lot of propaganda outside of this movie, and it's kind of riding the current of that. Right, 24 right. is different, because 24 is building the wave itself, <laughs> where it's explicitly talking about political issues as part of the plot, rather than just part of the background, sure, where sure. 24 is like saying, yeah, torture is good. You know, It doesn't matter what we do in the short term, Provided we can create a pretense that says everything we do to this person, innocent or guilty, is okay because we're doing it because we're terrified in this in this short term moment uh, that, yeah, I can torture this random guy from the Middle East because I think he might be a terrorist. And then in the plot, he turns out not to be too late. So sad. I already took the lamp apart and shocked him. Jack Bauer. Um and then that same guy, because he's like, oh, I'm an American, too, because I'm one of the quote unquote good ones. I don't object to what you did to me, Jack Bauer, because I knew you were trying to do the right thing. <laughs> and in fact, even though I should want to fucking kill you right now because I'm an innocent person who was just tortured by his own government, I'm going to team up with you for a little while. And then I'm going to die. And then you're going to act sad at me dying to show that you're not racist, <laughs> even though everything you did up to that point was explicitly racist. Right. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's what I mean. That is 
way harsher where there is a character who's treated as outright villainous in like season two of 24, who is basically an amnesty international lawyer who says, Hey, Jack Bauer, you can't stab that guy while asking him questions. And he's like, I should be able to stab people asking questions. Why does this guy come in here and ruin all my fun? Because he caring about things like your fucking just civil rights. What is this all about? <laughs> the, the the new Top Gun movie did it right because the bad guys are totally faceless. They don't they don't even say the country that they're from. They yeah. don't have names. The original <laughs> one did too. Like yeah, right. Yeah, there they was, don't actually they, tell they you who they MIGs, are. But they weren't. It's they weren't. implicit propaganda. Where it's <laughs> yeah. a bunch of faceless stormtroopers that have a red star on their helmet. <laughs> I don't know where they're from, but they're probably a communist. And it's like that kind of stuff. It's like. At the end, you're like, wait a minute, why are we cheering? Did we just start World War III? What, what just happened? I don't know what the stakes have just happened. And also, do we have the right to be in the Indian Ocean? Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. brave thing. What you should have done was land your plane. You don't own that plane, the taxpayers do. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You've been busted, you lost your qualifications as section leader three times, put in hack twice by me, with a history of high-speed passes over five air-controlled towers and one admiral's daughter. And you, asshole, you're lucky to be here. Thank you, sir. And let's not bullshit, Maverick. Your family name ain't the best in the Navy. You need to be doing it better and cleaner than the other guy. Now, what is it with you? Just want to serve my country. Be the best fighter pilot in the Navy, sir. Don't screw around with me, Maverick. You're a hell of an instinctive pilot. Maybe too good. I'd like to bust your butt, but I can't. I got another problem here. I got to send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I gotta do something here, I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. For five weeks, you're gonna fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You were number two, Cougar was number one. Cougar lost it, turned in his wings. You guys are number one. But you remember one thing. You screw up just this much. You'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Yes, sir!